0: Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Oh my God. Hi. Yo.
1: Hi. Yes. Oh my God. And we are back. How are you? It has been too long. Mm-hmm. Miss your voice. I miss your voice. Well, here we are back again. Um, <laughs> how, how was your little
0: break? How's that? It was amazing. I had the opportunity to go a lot of different places and see a lot of different things and shout out to everyone I met in Halifax and Dartmouth. That was such an amazing trip and I had a lot of fun and did some funny things. (laughs) And so I mean, it was just awesome. Like, you know, Of course, people get the right to vacation, right? Um, But I do want to say thank you so much to fans for making that even possible. Like you fund us and it gives us enough money to be able to take some time off and we really need it and I needed it and it was awesome. And how was your break?
1: My break was full of work. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, as some some folks responded to me on social media, which, you know, if you've been following me on social media, you know that I don't really post. And you may have seen a flurry of content on on my Instagram recently, um, because they do these things called collaborator posts now. So it's actually not me posting. It's like, Um, one of the people that I'm working with on a project who's posting, but it makes it my post also. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just like, oh, I'm getting notifications because I've turned off all notifications on my phone too. So just like I go in and I'm like, ah, there's lots of things happening here. And uh, some Sandy and Nora listeners have seen that I have been working on a film that will be premiering at TIFF, a short film, and a television show documentary, which will also be premiering at TIFF, and been like, oh, is this what you've been hinting at on Sandy and Nora? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. that is what I've been hinting at, um, one of the one of the projects that I've been hinting at. So uh, it turns out there's a lot of prep that you have to do before a film festival, so I've uh, been working my butt off on that. And then also... Uh, As as some folks may also uh, know, you know, I've been writing a book about policing and uh, made some really good headway um, during the time that you were gone. And I was missing your voice. Um, And yeah, I'm feeling good about all of the the, the things that I've been working on.
0: Mm. Now, we are recording this on a Tuesday. And by the time you are listening, it will be a week has passed. And Sandy has already done the red carpet thing twice. But... I am so excited for you. I guess I should work in the in the past tense here. You had such an amazing week. <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I hope so. But if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning when it comes out, there will still be an opportunity to see um, Black Life, the premiere of Black Life, which is the documentary, because it uh, premieres that day. Um, and Black Life... Uh, also, we'll be showing later on in the week on September 15th. And the, the short film that I made called Aftercare with uh, fellow producers Rodney DeVrillis and Anuba Momin will premiere. Uh, will have already premiered by the time you're listening to this, but uh, will also be uh, available to watch on the Wednesday. So tomorrow, mm. if you listen to Sandy and Nora, when it first
0: comes out. Wow. And do you think that it's ever going to be put onto like flights on Air Canada flights? Because that's where I see most of my that's, Canadian
1: short films. <laughs> listen, that's my dream. Okay? No kidding. I'm just like, please, somebody put this on a flight. This will be great. No, but honestly, the support has been really cool. There's been a lot of folks who are really interested in what uh, we're working on. And so, you know, uh, we've got uh, more projects uh, in the pipeline. So I hope uh, that we're able to make more stuff that, you know, Uh, will be the type of thing that Sandy and Nora audiences will want to see.
0: I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. Thanks, man. We have some announcements to make and we have a lot of people to thank. So let's do the announcements because they're the most exciting. Sandy, we're coming to Toronto for a live show. We're coming to Toronto. So, you know, I'm going to go to Toronto for TIFF and then I'm going to leave Toronto and then I'm going to come
1: back in the second weekend of October <laughs> and, you know, come spend some time with us.
0: Yes, yes, yes. OK, so we are going to be opening tickets. Um, you know what? You're listening. I'll let folks know in the Daily News yesterday. Today, you can get your tickets. Today, we will link to the link to get your tickets. I'm saying this because I still have to set it up, and I don't know if it's going to be Eventbrite or another platform, but tickets will be on uh, already on sale after this episode drops, and um, it's October 14th. So save the date, the Review Cinema in Toronto, and we have a super special musical guest, which we will reveal next week. Yay. Very exciting. Yes. Now, we are also very, very close to confirming another live show in Winnipeg. So, um, Winnipeg folks, keep your ears tuned to these episodes and we will tell you more when we have a confirmation. But it will be probably closer to the end of November.
1: It's been a while since I've been to Winnipeg. I'm looking forward to that one.
0: I know, me too. It was like the, 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 the 100th anniversary of the general strike got me there a lot. And then, uh, you know, uh, COVID happened. Oh, right. Remember that. Yeah. So all of that is to say uh, things are happening. It's fall. It feels great. School is in the air. And, um, and we got some people to thank. School is in the air.
1: Oh, man. I mean, there's there's a lot happening with school, which I think is going to be the theme. But before we get there, tell us about these people we have to thank.
0: Yes. So we've been off for a while. So um, here's uh, all of the people. Thank you so much for continuing to sustain us, uh, especially when we're off and you're paying money and we're not doing episodes. That's kind of really important to let us take some time off. So special thanks especially to Melissa, Jeanette, Rowan, Andrew, JBH, Nick, Veltwalker, Taryn, and John. Thank you all so much. And to everybody that supports the podcast in material and immaterial ways. Yes, we could not thank you all enough. So
1: here we are. We're back. It's September. School is, as Nora put it, in the air, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> gosh, it feels like we can't escape the news about like certain things going on at school. And, um, it's, it, it, well, it's bizarre. It's weird because none of it feels real. The two major stories I'm talking about are one, um, the story around Parental rights, which is raging in some provinces more than others, but has become uh, a national discussion, and and of course uh, Pierre Poly there really wanting that to be a national discussion going into the next election, and uh, number two, uh, the the housing crisis and how uh, you know like the 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 very amazing spin on the on the typical xenophobic. Uh, discussions uh, of like how the economy is always the fault of of people from outside. Mm -hmm. Um, In particular, folks are really focused on international students this time. Um, And so we thought perhaps now is a time to discuss some school issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the summer was really marked with a lot of these kinds of school issues. So I'm going to start, um, I'm going to focus on higher education, and then we can talk about that. And then maybe go to the lower education of primary and secondary schools and this parental rights bullshit. I don't know if you've seen all of the stories related to universities and colleges doing fuckery related to international students. But you know, Northern College has just had a whole bunch of students left high and dry by them attracting them to Canada, encouraging them international students to come to Canada, and then not being able to deliver deliver on programs that they had subcontracted to a private company and it's operating in uh, Toronto, which is like kind of far from Northern Ontario, where Northern College is based, so that's one thing that's been going on. Uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, uh, my former school. Wait, wait,
1: wait. Sorry, sorry. This is going too fast. <laughs>
0: There's Pause. so many though. This episode can't be two hours long. But please, yes. <laughs> sorry.
1: Northern College is subcontracting education work to a private college.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a completely bonkers story. So about 500 students were accepted by Northern College to study at something called Purist College of Technology, which um, the way CBC describes it is an affiliate. Um, And the students were all accepted to study there in Scarborough. And then Northern College rescinded their study visas. So... Um, now these students are left high and dry. Centennial College has stepped in and said that they'll take them on. The federal government was frustrated because they're like, hey, Northern College, you could have just given this many st- uh, visas to these students. That's not your job, which is true. It's not. And um, students are now having to deal with being refunded or transferred or, uh, you know, some are already in Canada. Some haven't come to Canada yet. Um, and so that's obviously going to throw their plans into complete disarray. I, I, I- Hi. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this, yeah, is, that sounds... this is not the first time either that this has happened. Um, CBC reporting as well that this happened in May, where hundreds of students who were accepted by St. Lawrence College, another small-ish college in Ontario, uh, they had also a partnership with something called the Alpha College of Business and Technology, another private college operator. So for folks that don't understand, Ontario's public colleges, they are all approved by a single piece of legislation, one piece of enabling legislation that lets the colleges all operate. And it's because it's one piece of legislation, the colleges all look very similar. They offer similar programs, they offer the same kinds of degrees, they have the same kinds of learning standards. Um, and so this proliferation of private colleges that are being given, I guess, the ability to grant certificates and diplomas by their partnership with these public colleges, I mean, this is a freaking crisis. This is a nightmare. This is something that, like, we'd be talking about what do we have to smash when you and I back in the student movement.
1: 100%. And I, I just like, again, don't understand how this is allowed under a system of public education that you would be able to give that much, as much money as I'm assuming they have to give to to get a partnership like this going to a private institution and then have a fuck up so bad that students are are just left shit out of luck. Like I, that doesn't seem... I mean, gosh, there, there's been so much failure in the, the post-secondary education system, which we'll get to.
0: But wow. 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 OK. What's the next story? Yeah. Well, then you have my former university, Toronto Metropolitan University, that was opening a campus in. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, it's a downtown Toronto school. Where would be the most obvious place, Sandy, to open a new little campus? Dubai. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So you're not far. I uh, they not. chose Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> at Cairo, <What>? in Egypt. <laughs> what? The Toronto Metropolitan University at Cairo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which was a disaster. So it opened last year. It had all these students accepted and uh, it, it couldn't get off the ground. And now, again, students are stranded and uh, the university is saying, you know what? Come to Canada. We'll just admit you to our university. So that also is news that broke in uh, the middle of August. And again, I look at this and say, why in the hell is... Toronto Metropolitan University operating in Cairo, in Egypt. I mean, in not Canada, in not Ontario, but not Toronto. It doesn't make any sense. Toronto's Cairo <laughs> campus.
1: I just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless uh, the, the purpose is just
0: to make a bunch of money, and then, in which case, sure, it makes sense. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. And then, of course, the thread that runs through all of this are international students and this whole narrative now that they are driving the housing crisis.
1: This is just so, (laughs) I mean, you have to skip a few steps um, to, to decide that it's international students that, that are, are the link uh, for, for, for why the housing (laughs) crisis crisis is the way it is. Because of course, international students, they don't have any power to, to decide how uh, housing is going to run Uh, When they get to this, they're just trying to figure out where it is that they can live. And you know what would be the best place for them to live, Nora? Uh,
0: I mean, uh, on campus, maybe? Yeah, probably
1: on campus. It's almost as though, you know, if they're going to be accepted as resident students, that the institution that accepts them should probably be responsible for uh, where they live and making sure that they have... Uh, enough uh, to uh, uh, enough subsistence which many schools all over the world do but for some reason in Canada we we do not see that any longer as a responsibility of the institution we see that as a responsibility of the student themselves and so institutions have not been Making sure that there is housing um, for for international students, which leaves this quite vulnerable population uh, really open to exploitation. So then to to look at them and be like that's the problem like is is really bizarre because international students are being exploited, um, you know sure, certainly by the housing market like everyone else's um, as much as they're being exploited by the education system and by governments who. Um, want to, to fund education through uh, international students rather than funding it through, uh, through, through making uh, the investments into post-secondary education that they should.
0: Yeah, like imagine every single time that you've heard in the last three or four weeks that the housing crisis is driven by international students, that we instead heard that the housing crisis is driven by uh, money laundering, speculation, uh, inappropriate expectations on returns of investment, corporate landlords, the things that are literally actually causing the housing crisis and and not, um, you know, Four hundred students who had their visas accepted and then canceled and then put into total limbo and were left hung out to dry by these frankly horrifying institutions. Like I've never liked college administrators. They're they're like on my list of ver- like very high up of people who are always trash. Um, th- but they just keep getting more and more trash. It seems. <laughs>
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, uh, I I continue to not understand why there are so many of them.
0: <laughs> now, there is one other issue that I wanted to just highlight that is not new, but that isn't getting much coverage in English Canada, which is that in Quebec, uh, colleges here have been applying for visas from the federal government and somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of the visas they apply for for students coming from Africa are being denied so by the federal government they're not applying to Quebec and so there's also this very interesting racist anti-black racism that's that's embedded within the federal government that uh, is also not at all being talked about and then all of a sudden uh, you know you've got Minister Sean Fraser and now um, Immigration Minister Mark Miller saying oh actually what we need is a cap actually on international students oh my god
1: I mean, I, 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 perhaps our next episode we should talk about immigration because that is happening in in other ways, um, elsewhere. Uh, but I think you discussed that
0: yesterday on the on the Daily News show. Did you? Well, I mean, yesterday was like uh, a week ago, so I don't remember. But yeah, of course, of course. Now, I <laughs> the, I think that the the big issue for me in all of this is that this is all happening because college operators are scrupulous, unscrupulous, whatever, terrible people. Government, they're all terrible people. But Sandy, where's the student movement in all of this? Listen, it it is
1: <laughs> so distressing to me. Um it's so distressing to me. I I I haven't been reading um uh, much from the student movement and I I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, and perhaps some of our, our listeners can tell us because it, it just seems like this is the kind of thing that I would love to see uh, students interjecting on and interrupting the narrative on, uh, because the, the fact that this absurd argument has... Uh, you know been able to proliferate so many different news sources like there should be someone there saying like this is absurd and pointing us back in in the in the right direction you know international students um are vulnerable and are being exploited and are also you know we our economy relies on international students and we need people who are the experts to tell us that and those experts should be in the student movement, so you know I'm I'm not sure it's um, it's really quite distressing. At the same time, you know we're seeing uh, a robust student movement in in the United States that is really continuing to push uh, for the elimination of student debt. And you know I was, you know, hoping to see some of that energy on on this side of the border, but that that hasn't really been translating either. I mean, I suppose there's there's some new news about. Um, the permanence of eliminating interest on federal student loans. But it's like, oh, my gosh, if if there's already interest in doing that, there should be a really strong student movement pushing it farther, um, you know, trying to go all the way for free education. And I just I don't see it right now. I and mean,
0: it's really sad. Yeah, well, I think that there's a real loss of understanding for what The necessity is for having autonomous student organizing and autonomous student organizing is something that universities and colleges have always tried to destroy. Political parties have also tried to destroy it. Um, and, And that is... Organizing that is paid for by student fees and run solely by students for themselves, and in a lot of cases, like in the Ontario college system, that autonomous student organizing has been crushed, destroyed, and 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 killed as as far back as the mid nineteen nineties. Um, in the university system in Ontario, it's different. In colleges in in other parts of Canada, it's different. Certainly, it's different in Quebec. But this this loss of of, of understanding for what the 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 need of autonomous student organizing is I think part of this, it's like students have to be independent. Students have to be independent from the thumb of their administrators so that they can fight against these administrations. And I don't have a doubt in my mind that had I, you know, been on campus uh, back in the days when I was a student activist at Ryerson, we would have been fighting against the administration, opening a campus in Egypt. I mean, that's completely ridiculous. Just as I remember the the struggles that students waged at the College of the North Atlantic, when they opened a a campus in Qatar, um, you know, 15 years ago or so. So there's always a need for that for that autonomous student pressure to be fighting against these terrible policies. But I know that the pandemic, especially and high tuition fees and attacks on student funding, like the student choice initiative that the Ontario uh, Conservatives tried to put forward, like these things have been poison to student movements. And it has been very, very difficult to try and reconstitute them. I mean, I've, I talked to students everywhere I go who are like, so depressed about the state of student organizing on campus and they don't know what to do or where to even start sometimes so um are you going to enroll somewhere should we make a comeback <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, uh, I go to school every uh, two years or so <laughs> after I graduate. So That's right. I mean, you're missing an engineering degree. So which, uh, which school is that one going to be? as well.
1: I was, uh, thinking, uh, I was thinking of, you know, maybe being a doctor. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, then you have to go <laughs> no, all, no, no, all no, the way no, back, no. right?
1: <laughs> no, I'm obviously never going back to school. <laughs> but I mean, gosh, now that I've said that. Um, but no, you know, I, I do, you know, there is something here, uh, where I, you know, I feel, uh, I don't know, like if there's anyone who's struggling to try to figure it out, to try to figure out what to do in this, in this, um, with this state of things at, at, at post in post-secondary education and has some ideas, but just doesn't know how to execute them. like. Uh, if there's a thing that I'm an expert in it's this <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know I Nora and I were we, we want to be able to support this because uh, student organizing is a conduit to, to so much other organizing um, uh, in Canada and if, it has played that role its history in Canada is to is to to feed other, Organizing, and so when this when the student movement is is really weak, it has ripple effects across what we're able to do um, in Canada. And so if if that is you, it sounds like you, and you're like just trying to figure it out, and you need some some help, some support. We we will uh, try to
0: help and support in the ways yep. that we're able to. Absolutely, absolutely. And in all of this, I did see one organized student group leading the charge against. Uh, our second topic, and that was UR Pride, the Pride Student Pride Organization at the University of Regina. They have uh, declared that they are going to take on the Mo government for their completely ridiculous, hateful uh, pivot towards using uh, transphobia, bigotry, homophobia to get some cheap points in that province. And, And so maybe that's the the point to talk about uh now the point of departure from higher education to lower education and this move to try and um make an issue out of uh students changing their pronouns or their names in school where there isn't actually really an issue
1: i gosh i mean every time like a a a law like this passes like i want people to be savvy enough to see that it's, it's total bullshit and it is, it's obviously serving some other purpose. I mean, the, 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 the the first question to ask would be like, how, like how, how would a law like this even work? It's impossible to make a law like this work. So it's It's obvious that it it it's not actually intended to work. It's intended to to get an emotional rise out of particular people and on the backs of some of the most vulnerable people, because uh, for the people for whom this matters the most um, are students who do not have the type of support or a home life where, uh, something like this, something like this could mean the difference between having somewhere to sleep and, um, you know, not not having a, a home at all. Uh, and I like it's just absurd that this uh, could possibly be <laughs> the number one topic that these politicians are are wanting to focus on in terms of education, because. There is a lot wrong with our education systems and the way that students are uh, expressing themselves, the ways that students uh, can feel a certain freedom to express themselves at school that they may not have at home are not the problem with the education system. And to invoke the idea of like parental rights instead of just talking about what it is that you're actually wanting to do, which is, uh, to, to monitor, to, to run surveillance on students who are trans and to restrict trans students from their gender expression, Uh, calling that uh, parental rights, like what an ugly, ugly thing. Like, would we, do we have parental, are there, Nora, you're a parent, are there parental rights to stop your kid from doing algebra because you just don't believe in it? Like what, what the fuck? Like that, it's just absurd to, 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 to think like all of a sudden, oh my God, parental rights. No, like fuck. What about the rights of The kids who are in the classroom, those students, they also have rights. And sorry, those rights are enshrined and are uh, they take precedent over parents being like, I want to know, you know, what my kids being called at school. I don't know if my parents knew
0: that what my nicknames were at school. Like this is
1: completely absurd.
0: I know, like, I don't know if my parents knew that, um, like, there was a whole group of people that just yelled Loretto at me every time they saw me, like, you know, whatever, right?
1: I mean, my nickname was and continues to be Sandala. I don't know if anybody knows that. Well, maybe all of Twitter, but besides that, you
0: know? <laughs> I was going to say, that's not very secret. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah. my parents
1: knew, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is an issue that is just so infuriating because... It's not being honest. The people having this conversation are not being honest about what we're actually talking about here. And so one of the things that led kind of the flurry of conversation after New Brunswick made the change and while Saskatchewan was talking about making this change. And I say the change. I mean, there's I don't actually think policies themselves have. Oh, I shouldn't say this. Uh, months after New Brunswick had this big debate and then while Saskatchewan was having this big debate, Sandy, did you see this survey from Angus Reid about whether or not Canadians are united or divided on this issue? Oh, my God. I'm already upset about it. But no, I haven't seen it. OK, so this was what gave journalists the excuse to have this discussion again and again and again. And, you know, the way that polling works is this is so Angus Reid's a private company. They get money from other companies to run polling. And one of the ways that they stay relevant is by driving public opinion on certain issues by asking questions. They are, I mean, a lot of people say they're like a conservative polling firm. At the end of the day, they are a polling firm and they make money as they run polls. And so Angus Reid runs a poll. And I'm going to tell you first the way that journalists reported the poll before I actually tell you what the poll said, okay? So this is an article from Global News from August 28th. It is very similar to all of the other stories that I saw in all of the other uh, news organizations that I saw, okay? So the headline here is Canadians Divided on Parental Consent on Pronoun Changes Poll Finds. And the lead, an Angus Reid poll, delved into the highly debated topic of whether A parent should be informed if a child wants to change their name or pronouns. Okay. Okay. Now, right off the bat, it is framing this whole thing as highly charged, difficult debate, blah, 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 right? Now, if you actually go to the poll, and of course, um, like when they say that it's divided, um, actually, it was like something 70, 70, some high number of 70% of parents thought that they should be, uh, of people thought that parents should be informed. And so this became, oh, my God, look at the homophobia. Oh, my God, look at the transphobia. This is so divisive. This is what governments are doing is against what parents and what citizens and voters want. So it was all used Uh, To create a new news storm, right? But here's the question. In New Brunswick, a proposed policy change would require parental consent for children younger than 16 who wish to change their preferred pronoun or name. Okay. And then which policy would you prefer? And then they list uh, four different options. Okay. So here they're doing two things at once. They're asking people about pronouns and names. Okay. And right off the bat, when you ask a general poll to general people, like you have to assume they even know what the fuck a pronoun is, which I'm not convinced that the majority of people understand grammar to that extent. But Sandy, is it legal for children to change their own name? Right now, in any part of Canada, absolutely no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Kids uh, it's, can kids change their fucking it's, name? It's it's it, it is very hard for actually anyone, uh, to try to change their name. So, uh, if we want to have a discussion about what the real issues are here. <laughs> like, geez, um, there it's yeah, this is this is yeah, no, kids can't change their name.
0: Kids are not allowed to change their names. Certainly, uh, they are not allowed to change their names if they're under the age of 16. If you're older than 16, you go through a legal process. And as you say, it is very difficult. But only children and then youth and then adults older than 16, older than 16 can change their names. So the question doesn't say that it's law or that we're talking about changing your name from like Samantha to Sam or from Dylan to Dill, like doesn't matter. It's just change their name, which between pronoun and name, people are instantly going to hit. I know what a name is, and I know that it's not legal to just change your name. Of course, you need parental consent.
1: Yeah, you kind of you have to be tied into the issue to actually understand the question because it's
0: it's it's not getting at what it's trying to get at. Exactly. Exactly. And yet journalists reported this as if it was obvious, as if it's part of the culture wars, as if every single person responding understands what that context is, even though the context is not in the question. And this fuels another round of well, actually, we have the right and we are the majority and we're on the side of, of rationality. And of course, a child needs con, uh, consent to change their names, even though it's law. I didn't see a single article say, oh, by the way, it is law <laughs> to change your name. A kid needs their consent of their parents because that's how it works currently. And the question makes it sound like that's not even the law in and of itself. So we've got disinformation from Angus Reid creating the conditions for disinformation from journalists, creating the conditions that the far right absolutely uses and exploits to push forward the far-right transphobic agenda that they have. And it's so enraging. It's like journalists, all you have to do is your job. Like I don't, like Angus Reid is a private company and they can do fuckery all they want. But journalists, you are now part of this problem. You are very much part of this problem by refusing to report on the facts in this and, and allowing the far right to drive it while trans people... While gender non-conforming people are like, what about us? What the fuck is going on? Like, holy shit. We're like, we're experiencing rising levels of hatred and blah, 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 blah. So uh, it's very enraging. And it makes the whole question about p- parental consent uh, ridiculous. Because in a question like that, of course, parents have to consent to changing a kid's name. Of course, that's the law. That is the law. That's the law today, right now, currently. Yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> uh, that is is uh, a pretty ridiculous um a mission to to make and and like a a link to make it's really frustrating um but also really frustrating is is how politicians are using this i'm i'm taking a look at this uh cbc article that uh, talks about polyvair's uh comments on this uh while speaking at a pakistan independence day celebration have you seen this no where he says uh, that it's not the Canadian way for the Prime Minister to tell a Muslim man that his values are American because he wants to pass on his traditional teachings to his students. Um, and it, I, I there's this way that the the conservative right is really focusing on Muslim communities right now with this particular issue to try to gain um, a, a new, audience of supporters uh to try to say that this is somehow like this the way that students interact in school and the freedoms that students have the privacy that kids have while they're in school is infringing on whole rights uh, on rights of different groups of people and uh again like these are things that uh, that you like practically this cannot um be uh like this this practically you you can watch students all you want. You can tell teachers to to become little cops uh, to to tell on students. like it's it sounds very much similar to like a the 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 barbaric practices hotline except for uh, retooled for trans children. Um, but it, it it's like it's not you can tell a teacher to be that to do that. but kids are going to explore. Uh, their identities and they 're going to live out um, the way that they they want to live because children have their own autonomy, and that should be uh, celebrated and protected in a school environment but even when it 's not a school environment, children are able to support each other i mean i don 't know if you people remember what it 's like to be in school, but you can support each other through um, through creating. Your identities through the expression of who you are, and so this isn't this isn't again actually about what's happening at the schools. It's about being able to uh, garner political favor amongst uh, 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 groups that these that the far right are targeting uh, to try to get support going into uh, another election.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they see this. They see the very clear path to using this issue to galvanize support. And it's so disgusting because we're talking about such a small number of children, a small number of youth, people who uh, are more vulnerable because of the transphobia that exists within all c- sectors of you know society, not the least of which, of course, is schools. And to play all of this off of their backs, off of children's backs, is... Is just, it, it, I mean, it makes me want to vomit. Like, it is so disgusting. Um, and I think that the, you know, the people who oppose this, um, by and large, especially liberals, uh, don't have the best arguments, like they don't necessarily have the best ways to uh, punch through this stuff. Sometimes they take the bait. Uh, you know, um, Marcy Yen, a federal minister, said that children will die as a result of this, which, I mean, you know, you can make a, a connection between, you know, the poor mental health and and outcomes related to, to, to children not being able to live their authentic selves. But that comment then, of course, gets picked up by the far right and the right in general by, by saying, look, the liberals are using this. They're overblowing this. This is ridiculous. No one's actually going to die. And it, and it just, again, seems like we've completely lost the ability to, 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 to untangle what this whole thing is about and realize that, oh, actually, yeah, we're not we're not actually talking about very concrete issues, that these are cultural world culture, culture war type things that. Uh, maybe someone who's not plugged into anything, someone who's got no kids who might, you know, answer an Angus Reed survey is just going to read the words on the page and be like, uh, yeah, of course, it's already uh, it's already the law. <laughs> like, I think that that makes sense. Or I see name and I don't see pronoun and I don't really get it. So it's like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. So we we have to be smarter about fighting back against this stuff. And I I do despair that we aren't. And part of that as well is because education is in such a dire, dire situation right now with rising levels of violence and harassment within the classroom, tons of underfunding and the problems that come with that. Uh, And then, of course, all of the other issues in society from food security to to housing, um, manifesting themselves within the classroom and teachers not having any ability to address the root causes of why a certain student might be failing Or falling through the cracks, or struggling, or whatever.
1: Well, yeah, and that's this is the thing, right? Like, uh, gosh, like, do not, don't play the game on that uh, playing field. You know, like this obviously is not a game. These are people's lives, but the the far right does treat this like this is a game, right? and you know if you are concerned about trans youth trans kids and dying because yes of course that that is a, something that is a reality for for these kids like why why would you be fighting about parental rights like wouldn't you want to uh, make sure that there is enough support for a shelter system make sure that there's enough social supports for these kids to access if they are uh, in um, in dire straits. Like if you, if you want school to be a a safe place where people can, um, where where kids can say like home is not safe for me making sure that there's enough funding for those types of social and mental health supports in schools should be the discussion not something about parental rights like what what the fuck is that that is like some amorphous thing that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything if you truly do care about students and what they are going through during a time of, of potential transition or in their gender expression then there are other things that you desperately need to be talking about, and I mean, if you care about uh, kids and students at all, like as Nora just said, like our schools are not in great shape. Like there's, there is so much to discuss, and you are letting the the policymakers off the hook. By refusing to talk about what is actually real, what is really going on um, in in education and how these these kids are being affected. It's just it is like the most cynical type of politics and people, you you know, when when Polly is out there. Um, toting this line. And when liberals are responding, they should be asked directly about like, okay, but if this is something that you care about, like, how are you actually supporting these kids? And, uh, you know, when when the conservatives are are talking about this, be like, what does this actually mean? Like poke poke through the bullshit nothingness of this, because uh, I mean, gosh, just it's just the ugliest, ugliest use of a vulnerable population, in order to to fuel political gain.